You are listening to a message from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. For more media content or to find out more about our church, visit us online at whitefieldschurch.com. That's whitefieldschurch.com. We're glad you're here. My name is Nick. I'm uh, the lead pastor here at Whitefields Community Church, and uh, we gather every Sunday morning like this to study God's Word and worship, so we're glad that you're all here with us this morning. We have something to celebrate this morning uh, because Jesus is alive. This is the, the uh, biggest Christian celebration that exists. It's uh, the oldest Christian celebration celebrated since the very first days of Christianity, and it's something which continues to this day. It is at the very heart and the core of what it means to be a Christian. You know, what if I were to tell you that there's something, something that if you have it, you would be able to face anything that this life could throw at you, something that could give you a bulletproof soul, so to say, so that you would be able to handle anything and everything that could, could happen to you. No matter what happens to you, physical ailments, deep personal loss, financial crisis, you would be able to handle any and every circumstance without it crushing you or destroying you. You would be able to face it with confidence and with courage. What if I told you that there's something which if you have it, it would give purpose and direction to your life like nothing else. It would give you a perspective which would change everything about how you think and about how you live and approach life. Well, I'd like to tell you a story about some people who did have this thing which I'm talking about, and we're going to see how it affected their lives and why. You ready? The the title of today's message is, The Death of Death and the Birth of Life. The Death of Death and the Birth of Life. So if you please open with me in your Bibles to the book of Hebrews, to the letter to the Hebrews, to chapter 11. It's in your New Testament there. Letter to the Hebrews, chapter 11. If you don't have a Bible with you today, we're going to have the verses up on the screen so you can follow along. Now the letter to, so the book of Hebrews is really a letter. It's a letter written to a group of Hebrew Christians, Jewish Christians. And you could sum up the theme of this letter as, don't give up. Have you ever felt like giving up? Like you ever felt like just, you didn't know if you could go on any longer? That's where these people were at. For many of them, becoming Christians had not made their lives easier. I think there's this, you know, general feeling that in general, becoming a Christian, following God, being faithful to God, having faith, you know, it will help improve your life. But that wasn't the, uh, that wasn't the situation for these people. Much to the contrary, for many of them, becoming Christians had made their lives more complicated. Their lives were actually easier before they became Christians. When they became Christians, their friends and family members there in the Jewish community were not excited to hear that they had become followers of Jesus, and they gave them a hard time, and they made their lives difficult as a result of that. And so some of these Hebrew Christians had gotten to the point where they said, you know what, I'm ready to just give up on this whole Christianity thing. Because, you know, following Jesus had not had the effect in their life which they had hoped for. Their lives had not gotten easier by becoming Christians. In fact, their circumstances had actually become more difficult. And so the question was for them, who wants to do something that makes your life harder? And so these people said something which I think many people, even in our day, also say. I tried Christianity out. I gave it a shot. I went to church, but it didn't work for me. I didn't get anything out of it. My life didn't improve. So you know what? I've kind of just moved on. I'm going to do something else. I've kind of given up on it. And so to these people, the writer of this letter says, don't give up. 
Don't give up. And I'm going to tell you why you should not give up. And so here in Hebrews chapter 11, the author says something which is actually very profound, something which uh, really stuck out to me as I was reading it, something which I believe gets to the very heart of the Christian faith and something which I believe all of us need to hear, especially this Easter Sunday. So please read with me if you would. Hebrews chapter 11, starting in verse 32. What more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, about David and Samuel and all the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weaknesses were turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. But there were others, others who were tortured and refused to be released that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised, since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Now, why, why talk about this on Easter? Here's why. The, the writer here, he gives us two lists. He gives us a list of people, a list of great people who had faith. People who had faith in God, people who were faithful to God. And uh, in this list, we see where their faith in God got them. What it, ha- what it caused to happen in their lives. What happened to them as a result of them having faith and being faithful to God. And if you look at this list that I just read you, in this list there's really a division. So there's really two lists, right? There, there's a division between the people mentioned at the beginning of that section and then the people mentioned at the end of that section. And that division takes place in verse 35, actually right in the middle of verse 35. And from verse 32 through the first part of verse 35, you have one list. And then you got a second list from verse 35 to verse 38. Now, think about the first list. The people in the first list, each of them, are characterized by the same thing. They had faith in God, and as a result, things got better. Things worked out. By faith, they went from weakness to strength. By faith, they overcame obstacles. They looked like they were about to be defeated, but then they were victorious. They were facing overwhelming odds, and then they triumphed. They experienced, we read, military triumphs, political triumphs. They they conquered kingdoms. They defeated armies. They administered justice. It says they escaped the edge of the sword. So the people in this first list, in every case, it looked like they were done for, like all hope was gone. They were doomed, but in the end, they came out victorious. And why? Because they had faith. Now, if you're familiar with some of the more famous stories of the Bible, you'll recognize some of the people who are being uh, referred to here. Like it says, they shut the mouths of lions. Who's that talking about? It's talking about Daniel. Daniel, do you remember his story, Daniel and the lion's den? Daniel had faith in God. He was devoted to God. But he lived in Babylon. And in Babylon, they passed a law that said that nobody was allowed to pray to anybody except for the king. Because in that culture and society, the king was venerated as a deity, as a god himself. And so Daniel, though, he said, no, I have to remain faithful to God. I have faith in God. And so he, he refused to pray to the king. And he said, come what will, 
I have faith that my God will carry me through it, and so I will remain faithful to him. And so Daniel continued to pray to the true and living God every day until one day, even though Daniel was a prominent official there in Babylonian society, someone reported him for praying to the true and living God and he got arrested and his punishment was to be thrown into a pit of hungry lions and surely he would be eaten alive because, I mean, that's quite the punishment, right? Just to be thrown in with a bunch of starving lions. And this was something which had been done time and time again and each time they did it, they kind of got the same result, right? The lions eat the person, the end. And so they throw Daniel into this den of lions and they close up the pit and when they come back the next day, what do they find? I mean, Daniel's just sitting there. He's totally unharmed. He's petting the lions. They're all getting along and everybody's happy. It's a miracle. Daniel had faith in God. God. Daniel was faithful to God and God saved him in a miraculous way, saved him by shutting the mouths of lions. A miracle, right? Here's another one of the stories. It says that some quenched the fury of the flames. Well, who's that talking about? That's talking about Daniel's friends. Do you remember them? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Right, Daniel chapter 3, we read about these guys. Now their story is kind of similar to Daniel's. The king Nebuchadnezzar, he erected a big statue of himself and he demanded that everybody bow down and worship the statue of him. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they said, no, we will not do that. We have faith in God and we are faithful to God. And so the punishment for them was they got thrown in a fiery furnace to be burned alive. So they're, they're thrown in the furnace and everybody expected that they would just be little pieces of charcoal when they came back. But they didn't die. And God intervened and they were protected from being burned by the flames in the furnace. And so God saved them and rescued them from the situation and they came out of it alive. And in each of these situations in this list of people we read there from verse 32 to 35, people faced overwhelming odds. Some of them faced certain death, difficulty, suffering, but because of their faith in God and their faithfulness to God, they were spared, they were saved, they were rescued. You know, some were poor, some were weak, but they had faith in God and they were faithful to God. And as a result, God gave them great victory, and even though it looked like they were facing sure defeat. And the greatest of all these in the first list here is found there in verse 35 where it says that there were women who received back their dead, raised to life again. Now, there are a couple people mentioned in the Bible who were brought back to life. Like in the Old Testament, there's a woman called the widow of uh, Zarephath. And through the ministry of Elijah the prophet and the power of God, this, her son was brought back from the dead. And there's this woman, she's called the Shunammite woman. And through Elisha, who's like the disciple of Elijah, uh, also brought back from the dead after, after dying. In the New Testament, Jesus raised a man named Lazarus, who was one of his friends and one of his disciples, raised him from the dead. There was a, a daughter of a man named Jairus, and Jesus raised her from the dead. In our culture and in our society, I would say that we love these kinds of stories. Don't you agree? We love these kinds of stories. We can't get enough of them. We love these stories. You know, Hollywood makes all these. How many times do you see a movie about some kid grows up in a bad neighborhood and, you know, he does really bad at school, bad family situation, but then, you know, some turn of events happens, some miraculous break, and he's, over to, he's able to overcome all these difficulties and these incredible odds, and he experiences great success, right? That's like every other Hollywood movie tells that story. And then we love to hear these stories. We love to hear stories about how when the doctor said, all hope is lost, you're not going to make it, you've got like five days to live, but I didn't give up hope, and we prayed, and we fought, and the sick person is now all better, and they recovered, and the doctor said, it's a miracle, 
We love those stories, and we should love those stories. I've experienced those things in my life. Maybe you have too. And we love those stories, and we celebrate those things, and we absolutely should because those things give us a glimpse of God's hand at work in the world. It helps, us, it helps our faith grow to see him, how he answers prayer, and, and these kind of things. Stories like, my business was going under, but I prayed and trusted God, and God did something amazing, and he turned it around, and now it's great, and I'm successful. Those are great stories. We celebrate them. We're glad those stories exist because they inspire us, they build our faith, and they build our awe in God. But if you were to stop there in verse 35, with all these wonderful stories of people who overcame difficulties and were saved from from bad situations, you would think this is what faith is. This is what faith does. This is where faithfulness to God will get you. If you have faith, you can overcome anything. There's no obstacle too strong for you if you've got faith in God. If you have faith and you're faithful to God, then everything will work out no matter how impossible it might seem. If you've got enough faith, then things will always work out. You'll overcome sickness and hardship and even death. The thing is, though, that that's not, the story doesn't stop there. There's more. In verse 35, there's a second list. In the middle of verse 35, there's a change, a major change, and it's signaled by this word, others. There are others. There are others who also had faith, but their lives somehow worked out completely differently than the people in the first list, right? So there are others. There are others who believe in God, who have faith in God, who trust God, who obey God, and yet their lives go in a completely different direction than the people in the first list. Now think about this. The people in the first list, they had faith, and as a result, they escaped the edge of the sword. But then we read in the second list that there were people who had faith, and they died by the edge of the sword. Well, that's just, that's just not as good, right? right? Like, so there's the people in the first list, and they had faith, and they were faithful to God, and they obeyed God, and everything worked out. But then you got the people in the second list. They had faith. They were faithful to God. They obeyed God. And then they got stoned to death and sawed in half. Right? So does that mean that the people in the second list had less faith than the people in the first list? Not at all. Not at all. The point of these two lists is to show us two key things, two fundamental things about the Christian faith. Number one, that having faith in God and following Jesus doesn't guarantee that you will have a problem-free life. It doesn't guarantee that God will rescue you out of every problem or every difficulty you face. And the second point is this, that that, that hope in a problem-free life, that that is not the hope of Christianity. That that is not the ultimate hope of Jesus Christ. So then what is the hope of Christianity? The hope of Christianity is actually mentioned here in verse 35. The hope of Christianity is the hope of what? The hope of a better resurrection. The hope of a better resurrection. In verse 35, right after we read that by faith people receive their dead back from the grave, we read, but others, others were tortured and refused to be released. Because, why? Because they were looking for a better resurrection. Okay, so wait, what is this talking about? What it's talking about is that there were some people who because of their faith, they faced persecution. They faced even torture. And there was one way to make it stop. All they had to do was to recant their faith, but they would not do that. If they recant their faith, they say, fine, I give up on this whole Christian thing, then they would be released. But they refused to give it up. They refused to be released, even in the face of torture, even in the face of death. Well, why? Well, it tells us there that there was something that they had which made them so bold that they were able to look death and suffering and pain in the face and not even flinch. And what was that? There there was something they had 
that made them able to, to do these things and not even be afraid. It made them able to not even be afraid of death or pain and suffering. What was it? It was this. It was the confidence in the promise of a better resurrection. They were confident that they would receive a better resurrection. A better resurrection than what? Well, a better resurrection than the people mentioned in the first half of the verse who were raised back to life from the dead. I mentioned those people just a second ago, right? We have Lazarus. You have the daughter of Jairus. Lazarus, he was Jesus' disciple, Jesus' friend. He was sick and he died. And Jesus did an amazing miracle and he brought Lazarus back from the dead. Amazing, right? But you know what happened a few years after that? Lazarus died and he's still dead. Daniel was saved from the mouth of lions. Incredible, miraculous, until he died a few years later. Right? You got Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego saved from the flames of fire. So they were not burned. They stayed alive until they also died a few years later. You see, as wonderful as those things were, they were only temporary. People were still, these people were still subject when they came back to life. They're still subject to suffering and disease and ultimately to death. In other words, those miracles only postponed what was, what was ultimately going to happen, which was death. They, they postponed it. In other words, these were temporary reliefs from suffering and hardship and death. But these others, these others that we read about in the second half of that section there, uh, their eyes were not set on temporary relief. Their eyes were not set upon a postponement of suffering. Their eyes were set upon a better resurrection. Their hope was in the death of death and the birth of life because that is the promise. That is the hope of Jesus Christ. That is why Easter is the biggest deal in the world. That's why Jesus' resurrection matters so much. That's why it is the most important thing that ever happened. That's why, as Paul tells us in 2 Timothy 1 verse 10, he says, our Savior Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death, and he has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. You see, the essence of the Christian faith is this, that you were made for more than this. Do you know that? You were made for more than this. I think we all sense that. We all feel that. We inherently feel that there's something wrong with sickness and suffering and death. We understand that those things are reality in this world, but we have this sense that they shouldn't be. There's something out of place. There's something wrong about them. But yet, as much as we wish that it were not so, as much as we wish that we could escape it, the fact is that we are broken people living in a broken world under the cloud of sin and death. But the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that God loves you so much that he became one of us. He became a man. His name was Jesus. And Jesus lived a perfect life. And although he was an innocent man, he was put to death. Do you know why? He gave himself up to death willingly. You know that? He could have run away. He could have gotten himself out of that situation, but he didn't. He gave himself up to death willingly as a substitute in our place. God became a man in order to die. Why? So that by entering into death, he might destroy it. So that he might enter into death in order to defeat it, in order to abolish it. That by doing so, he might bring immortality to, and life to mankind. You see, what Jesus did in his death and resurrection, he bore our sin and our judgment upon himself on the cross. And then having died, he entered into death and he blew a hole in the prison walls of death and he walked right out and made a way for us to do the same through him. 
He defeated death. He broke its chains. He blew a hole in the prison wall of death to make a way for us to be set free from death, to experience life and immortality, true life that lasts forever. And what that means is that to put your faith in Jesus is to put your faith in the promise of a better resurrection. It's faith in more than just a problem-free life. It is faith in the certainty that because of Jesus, even though one day you will die in this flesh, through him you can be resurrected. Not resuscitated like Lazarus, like the others, but resurrected to a better resurrection, to a life that will never end, to a life in which there is no death, to a life in which death is reversed, in which death is defeated and abolished. You see, Christians, we don't just hope in some vague form of life after death. No, our hope and our confidence is that death has been defeated. And therefore, for the person whose faith is in Jesus, death isn't even really death. Because in death, we get our lives back. In death, we get our health back. In death, we get our loved ones back. You see, everything we've lost in this broken world, we get it back and all far better than it ever was before. It's that hope that enabled the early Christians to say, for me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. You see, for for you, death isn't really death, but death has been defeated and death has been reversed in Christ. And that for a Christian, death is, is really the gateway to true life that is really life. Well then, yes, you can honestly say that death is gain. So our hope isn't just in the temporary reprieve or postponement of sickness and suffering and death. Sometimes God does intervene and give us that reprieve. And that's great, but ultimately our hope is in Jesus. It is in a better resurrection. And don't you see how faith in a better resurrection, if you have that, you will be able to face anything. You will be able to face anything. Because you know what? If you're not afraid of death, if, you're, if you know that there's coming for you a future resurrection, that though you die, yet you will live and truly live, if you have that knowledge, if you have that confidence, then you will be able to live this life with boldness and confidence and perspective like nobody else. Because that perspective, that knowledge, that faith, in that future resurrection, if you have that, you can handle Anything that life might throw at you because you know what's coming. You're able to say what the Apostle Paul said where he said, I am convinced that the brief and momentary afflictions of this present age are nothing to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And when you have that kind of boldness, when you have that kind of security in life, you can approach life with so much confidence because you have literally nothing to lose. And when you're no longer bound by fear because you're not afraid of death, because you know what awaits you and you know what to look forward to, then you are truly free. Do you understand that? You're truly free to love and to live. And you can go to bed at night with peace knowing that whatever comes your way, whatever conflicts or trials you might face, they are minor compared to what awaits you, the life that is truly life that awaits you in Jesus Christ because of the resurrection. This is the confidence that we have as Christians This is the confidence of the resurrection to come, the better resurrection, which the people in this second list had that made them able to look death in the face and not even flinch. Now you might ask, wow, these people, they really put their money where their mouth is. But how could they be so confident that this would actually happen? 
like that there would actually be a future resurrection? How can we be confident that this will actually happen? And here's the answer. It's because Jesus Christ rose from the dead. You see, these early Christians, these people writing these letters, they didn't just have a theory of eternal life or a theory of resurrection. They had an actual person who was raised from the dead before their very eyes, Jesus Christ. If you want to know how important the resurrection was to the early Christians, then listen to these words from the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, if Christ has not been raised from the dead, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. If Christ has not been raised, then your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. If in Christ we hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But if in fact Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. He says, in fact, he has been risen from the dead. He is the first fruits. You know, fallen, uh, falling asleep, this was kind of like a euphemism that the early Christians used for death because they, they believed in the future resurrection. They said, you know what? For us Christians, death isn't really death. You're gonna rise again to eternal life. So when people die as believers, they're not really dying. We'll just say they're falling asleep because they're gonna rise again. And so what Paul's saying here is that we can have confidence in the future resurrection because Jesus was resurrected as the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. I don't know how many of you garden. My wife and I garden a little bit. And you know what it's like when you get the first fruits of your tomato plants or your peppers or whatever you grow, right? You get that first pepper, that first tomato, when there's nothing else on the plant and nothing else growing. You get that first one. It comes really early in the season. And what does that first one tell you? Well, it tells you that there's more on the way, that this is what's going to be like. This is just the first. There's, this is the beginning of what is happening and what is going to happen and is on the way. Jesus is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. He's the one who blew the hole in the prison wall of death and walked out to make a way for us to do the same through him. Now you might then ask, if Jesus' resurrection is the reason why we can be confident in the future resurrection, then how can we be confident that he actually did rise from the dead? How could these people at this time be so confident about this that they would lay their life down on the line? Newsweek magazine a few years ago published an article about the resurrection of Jesus. And, and what the article in Newsweek concluded was actually very surprising to many Newsweek readers and even many Christians because what the author of this article said in this publication, he said, if you look at it objectively, like if you use the same criteria to judge the veracity of Jesus' resurrection that we use to judge the veracity of other historical events, then we would have to conclude that the resurrection of Jesus did in fact happen. That, that it should be taken as a historical fact. Why? Well, there's a couple reasons. I'll give you two. Uh, and I think these are some of the best. But one reason is this, that there were over 500 people, we read, who were eyewitnesses of Jesus after his resurrection. Now, if you were to show up in court with 500 eyewitnesses, and you're all saying exactly the same thing, you'd have a pretty open and shut case. Another one of the overwhelming proofs that Jesus did in fact rise from the dead is the way that people who claimed to have seen Jesus alive after his resurrection were affected by that. Like think how much it would affect you if you saw a person die and then you saw him alive again, right? They were affected by it. And these early Christians whose main claim, central claim, was that Jesus Christ had risen from the dead, that he died and he rose from the dead, they became incredibly bold. 
And these people went into all the world at their own expense, risking their lives, right, to tell everybody possible they could the good news that in Jesus Christ, death had been defeated and life and immortality had come to mankind. And what did they get in return for this? Did they get fame, popularity, fortune? Not at all. No, you know what they got in return for that? They got ridiculed and persecuted. They got stoned to death and they got sawed in half. Now then why would they do that? Because they had seen something that they couldn't unsee. They couldn't just unsee what they had seen, right? They had seen something that changed everything for them. They had seen Jesus Christ die and they'd seen him resurrect from the dead and in doing so, they understood what it meant for them. That through him, they could have a better resurrection. True life that lasts forever. And as a result, they became incredibly bold. They were no longer afraid of death. It changed their whole perspective. It changed the whole way that they lived. They stopped living for themselves. They devoted their whole lives to serving others, their whole lives to going and sharing this message of love and hope that extends beyond the grave because Jesus Christ defeated death and brought life and immortality to mankind. And why? How how could they just give up their lives like that? How could they just give up their their homes and their lives and go across the world or go and talk to people who they knew were going to beat them up? How could they do something like that? Why would they give away their lives like that? Well, well, the reason is because they knew that they would get their lives back and much better than ever before. They would get back everything. And how could they be so sure? Because Jesus Christ had risen from the dead. I'm here to tell you that there is something that you can have which will give you so much boldness and so much confidence that you would be able to face anything that this life can throw at you. And that thing is the assurance of the future resurrection. And how can you have that assurance for yourself? It can be yours today by putting your faith in Jesus Christ. He is the resurrection and the life. There is no resurrection. There is no eternal life apart from him. But if you put your faith in Jesus Christ today, then you can have confidence and hope that overcomes this world because it extends beyond the grave. Would you please stand with me and pray? Lord, we thank you for the hope of the resurrection. Lord, and we see now how much this confidence in the resurrection changes the way that we live. And Lord, we desire to have that. I pray for anybody here today who has not entered yet into a personal relationship with Jesus through faith in his death and resurrection. Lord, if there's anyone here today who is in that place who says, yes, you know what, I need that. I need to be born again. I need to be forgiven of my sins. I need eternal life, and I'm not sure that I have it. Lord, I pray that as we sing this next song, they would pray to you in their heart and that they would receive Jesus as Lord, as Redeemer, as, as the one who forgives their sins, as the Savior of their lives, and the one who will raise them up on the last day. We thank you for the hope of the resurrection. We, we want to live in light of this, Lord. We want to live like these people lived who weren't even afraid in the face of death. Lord, help us to live like the apostles who are willing to give away their lives in service of you and in service of others because they knew that they would receive their lives back and so much more. That is the promise we have in you. And we celebrate it this morning. We celebrate that Jesus is risen and because of that, we too, who are in him, will rise again. So we give you all the praise and the glory this Easter day. In Jesus' name, amen. 
This message was brought to you by White Fields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. For more media content or to find out more about our church, visit us online at whitefieldschurch.com. That's whitefieldschurch.com.